tuning in to our podcast, Salt and Light, where we'll cover foundational principles for being a disciple of Jesus Christ. Enjoy this episode with ears to hear and hearts that listen. So let's go check the facts with your host, also known as my dad, Casey Harrison. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Salt and Light Ministries. This is the 513 Project, where we correct genetically altered Christianity and we replace it with a firm foundation for a relationship with Christ. And this week we're going to deep dive into the book of Matthew, chapter 1, verse 6. Now the beginning of Matthew is the origin story of Jesus Christ. So you get to see how the character of Christ is played out through the people of his genealogy. And so far, we've learned a lot about what God has to say about the character of Christ. And we're going to tie all that together at the very end after we finish the genealogy of Jesus. But this week, let's take a look at Matthew chapter 1, verse 6. And Jesse, the father of David, the king, and David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. Now, I know this verse was kind of a bleed over from verse 5. And what are some basic observations we can make? Well, first, there's four names mentioned here. Jesse, David, Solomon, and Uriah. Each name has a purpose. But for the sake of time today, we're going to focus in on just Jesse and David. Well, a little bit about David. More about Jesse and his background. So let's look at Jesse right now. We know that Jesse was the father of David, who ended up being the second king of Israel. Now, how that came about was in 1 Samuel 16:1. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul? since I have rejected him from being king over Israel. Now fill up your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. Now I know we just kind of dived into the middle of the story here, so let me give you some context. Before this moment in time, the Israelites were ruled over prophets. The prophets would hear the word of God and pass it out to the people. So the prophets were the messenger of the king of kings and lord of lords. Well, the people had gotten so enamored by culture and all the other nations that they wanted to have a king, a physical king, in the same way that all the other nations did. So they went to Samuel and they said, look, Samuel, we want our own king. We want to be like the other nations. So Samuel took it to God and said, hey, this is what they want. God said, okay, give them what they want. They're not going to like it and still do as the people say. So God sent Samuel to anoint Saul as the first king of Israel. Now, throughout Saul's life, he didn't listen to the exact word of God when God told him to do something. Mainly which, he went into battle, and God told him to destroy everything. But instead, he allowed the king to live, took him captive, and also kept the best of all the herds because he wanted to sacrifice it to God as a thanks offering. The problem with that was, God didn't tell him to sacrifice anything to him. God told him to be obedient. I don't believe Saul did this out of a malicious intent, but he wasn't obedient. So in that moment, God rejected him from being the king of Israel and told Samuel, I'm going to send you to someone else, a man after my own heart. You're going to anoint him the next king of Israel. So that's a little bit of the previous context to where we find ourselves here in 1 Samuel 16. Looking at the scripture in Samuel 16.1, we see that Jesse was a Bethlehemite, meaning he was a person of Bethlehem, or he settled in the land of Bethlehem. 
Does that sound like anyone else you've ever heard of? A.K.A. Jesus Christ? It's almost like God has a method to his madness, like he planned things out ahead of time. Well, that's because he did, he does, and he will always have his plan in motion, regardless of what you choose. You can be a part of it, or you can watch somebody else walk in the blessing that he wanted for you. Back to Jesse. Another thing about Jesse that scripture talks about is he had eight sons. And he was an elder in the land of Bethlehem. And in order to be an elder, people had to look up to you. Look at 1 Samuel 16, verses 4 and 5. This is where Samuel's coming into the city of Bethlehem. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him, trembling, and said, Do you come peaceably? And he said, Peaceably. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. Notice right here. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. So Jesse wasn't just a member of society in Bethlehem. He was an elder. Now, another thing to realize about Jesse is he was a wealthy man. Now, I'm not talking about wealthy like he was rich in money and those types of things. But according to scripture, he wasn't lacking anything. He had land. He had livestock. He had enough of everything to where he was able to feed his sons while they were at battle for King Saul. And then on top of that, he had enough food to give to the commanders that were in King Saul's army as well. Not only all of that, but he was able to send his son David out to deliver the food instead of David tending the sheep. And according to 1 Samuel 17 verses 12 through 20, Jesse was pretty up in age, which tells me that he wasn't the one that was going to tend the sheep while David was gone, which leads me to believe that he had enough money to pay somebody else to do it. So he had people working for him. Basically, Jesse was a wealthy person. And of course, wealth doesn't happen overnight. So it's safe to assume that everything we've learned about Jesse so far, that he was wealthy in 1 Samuel 16, when Samuel came to visit and anoint the next king of Israel couple of quick observations about David. David is the second king of Israel. But before he was the king of Israel, he was just a shepherd boy. He tended his father's sheep. Now he was bold, bold enough to protect his sheep from a lion. But David also liked to play music. He liked to play the lyra. And he mainly played that for God. He intentionally praised God while he tended his father's sheep. I believe that's one of the main reasons why God called David a man after his own heart in 1 Samuel 13, 14. Now, knowing the context of the culture of that time, some of the family dynamic between Jesse and David and Samuel, how does that apply to your relationship with God right now? If you take nothing away from this podcast, take this. If you look through the perspective of your wealth, you'll miss the king and God's anointing. I'm going to say that again. If you look through the perspective of your wealth, you'll miss the king and God's anointing. Now, don't twist my words. I'm not saying you have to get rid of all of your money to have a relationship with God. I'm not even talking about money here. When I say the perspective of wealth, wealth applies to so much more than money. Wealth, by definition, is an abundance of valuable possessions. Jesse was wealthy by that definition. He had wisdom. He had livestock and land. And he had a big family. 
All of these things qualified him as wealthy in that culture. But when Samuel showed up, Jesse viewed what was happening through the perspective of what he considered to be his most valuable possessions that he could honor God with. His wealth. Jesse tried to honor God through his wealth of wisdom. How do I know he was wise? Simple. He was an elder in the land. And in order to be considered an elder, you had to be considered wise and people had to look up to you because of your wisdom. And even in all of his wisdom, when Samuel came to town to anoint the next king of Israel, Jesse didn't even consider his youngest son as a possibility. He took his seven oldest sons and brought them before Samuel to be considered because they had the exterior qualities that God chose out of last time. They checked all the boxes. I don't even have to imagine that that's what went through their minds because I know it went through Samuel's mind. When Jesse brought his first son in front of Samuel, Samuel's like, hey, he's got the build, he's got the strength, he's got the look. This must be the one you want, God. And God rejected him. God rejected all seven of them. But you see, Jesse had assumed he knew what God wanted. I want you to notice that through Jesse's wealth of wisdom, he assumed he knew what God wanted. The problem here is that Jesse's valuable possession of wisdom became the source for Jesse's pride. Jesse's pride in his own wisdom is the reason that he didn't even consider David his youngest son. Similar things happen in today's culture. I mean, the wisdom of culture says be proud of who you are. You know what's best for you. No one else can tell you anything. The wisdom of culture will tell you to be proud of how you feel. You see that through this whole identity thing right now. Your identity is your choice. Take pride in how you identify. And don't let anyone discriminate against you. Be proud of what you have accomplished. You're the one who did all the work. No one else helped you. The problem with this type of wisdom of culture is that no matter where you're at, someone helped you to get there. How you feel today... You might not feel like that tomorrow. Come on, face it, everybody. People's feelings change like a baby needs to change his diaper. Constantly. You can't base your decisions off of your feelings. That doesn't make logical sense. Be proud of who you are. You know what's best for you. Look, coming from my own personal life, I wish I would have listened to some of the people that were older than me and wiser than me instead of me thinking I knew everything. It would have saved me so much headache. God can't stand pride. Being proud is the exact opposite of what God says to be. God says he opposes the proud, but shows favor on the humble. James 4.6 Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit in Philippians 2.3. The word here for vain conceit is kenodoxia, which means self-esteem or empty pride. So God says do nothing out of selfish ambition or self-esteem. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or Empty pride. Pride is the opposite of God. God says be humble. He hates pride. So do you think we should view our decisions through our own wisdom and culture's wisdom? Absolutely not. We should filter all of our decisions through God's wisdom. Look, it's easy to say it's hard to do. Simple does not always mean easy. But if we're filtering our decisions through God's wisdom, don't you think that's going to be what's best? Considering He is the one that defined wisdom in the first place. 
culture doesn't define wisdom. Just look through history. There's been a ton of stupid things done behind the disguise of wisdom. The Equality Act is just one of them. Okay, I'm going to move on. The second thing to consider is material possessions, because Jesse was wealthy. He had material possessions. Granted, I can't see in Scripture where Jesse's material possessions had anything to do with his choice-making in those moments when Samuel was there. But I have a question for you. Could our desire for material possessions lead us to missing the king and missing God's anointing? Seems to me like the answer is yes. You don't have to go back more than 30 years to see the different ministries that have screwed up with other people's finances. Look at Jim Baker. He got convicted for mismanaging funds. There's a lot more to it than that. And he still had his eyes on material possessions. The more he got, the more he wanted. There's many other churches, not all, but many others that allow their perspective to get off of God's word and on what they feel like they deserve. Progressive Christianity, that's one. Putting themselves higher than God's word. You have to watch out for that. These types of organizations and these types of people are after more status than they are substance. And in the culture of today, your status is valued by your possessions. A way of perceiving status is keeping up with the Joneses. They got a new car. I need a new car. They got a new house. I need a new house. And if I don't have the money, I can just go in debt for it and look like I have a higher status than what I actually can afford. Again, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that you have to give up your material possessions to follow Christ. I am saying that if you're focused more on gaining more things for yourself and not gaining ground for the kingdom of God, then you're viewing your choices through the perspective of wealth, making material possessions one of your most valuable possessions. Now, going back to Jesse, I do see that one of his most valuable possessions was his family. And he wanted to give what he assumed to be the best. You see, in that culture, the first son received the majority of the inheritance. And the rest of the inheritance got smaller and smaller the further you went down the family tree. Basically, the order in which you were born determined your amount of inheritance you would receive after the father died. So these seven sons of Jesse that Jesse brought before Samuel would have inherited the most. Now, because of the way culture was back in those days, I believe that Jesse also brought them in front of Samuel in the order in which they were born, oldest to youngest. Jesse would have offered what he thought was the best first. I love the way God does things because God had a different plan. God wanted the least of these, which was David. Isn't that just like God? And the first shall be last and the last shall be first. It's not like God didn't already establish that in previous generations. Come on! If you've actually read the Bible, you know God loves an underdog. But why does God love an underdog? Because He gets all the glory for the accomplishments. The underdog shouldn't have been able to achieve success. But when God's on your side, with God all things are possible. What it comes down to is if you treat your family more honorably than you treat God, if we treat our family as our valuable possession, our wealth, then we'll miss the king and miss God's anointing. Your bloodline doesn't matter in the kingdom of God. Jesus said, My mother and my brothers are those who hear God's word and do it in Luke 8.21. Valuable possessions. So I propose this question to you. 
Where is your wealth found? Really think about that. Because if you want a relationship with God, you have to allow the Holy Spirit to alter your perception and your expectations. Shift them out of the glasses of culture and take on God's vision. Ditch the glasses. Look, you've accepted Jesus. You don't need the glasses anymore. Easier said than done, right? That's a very true statement. Simple is not always easy. So Casey, how do we do that? How do we ditch the glasses? I've got two words for you. Opposite action. Now, I can't take credit for that. I didn't coin the phrase. In fact, I picked that up from my wife. She's a DBT therapist. Pretty much the most caring therapist that I know. And one of the skills that she teaches is opposite action. This skill can be defined as doing the opposite of what your mind feels like doing. Let's say you struggle with alcohol and you want a beer. Well, first, you would acknowledge that desire and then talk to God about it. Ask Him for help. Then you act out the opposite of what you're feeling. Have a glass of water, have a Coke, have a Dr. Pepper, keep your hands busy. Anything except drink alcohol. Opposite action. Easy to say, it's not easy to do. It's a simple concept that's going to be one of the hardest things you'll ever do. Here's the one that I've struggled with, and I still continue to struggle with it, if I'm being honest. What if you get that itch to watch porn and masturbate? Well, first, acknowledge the desire. Then take it to God and ask Him for His help. Then act out the opposite. What's the opposite of watching porn? Watch a sermon of your favorite preacher. Keep your mind thinking on something else. Then I'm going to add in, if you're married, tell your wife about those thoughts. Telling your wife might sound extreme, and most likely you're going to feel embarrassed about it. Okay, I can't tell you how you're going to feel. I felt embarrassed about it the first time I told my wife. In fact, I still feel embarrassed about it from time to time now. Just not as much. One thing I have realized about it, though, is that by me telling her, ultimately that brought us closer together. She started noticing what I needed and started to show up for me more in the areas in which I needed her to show up. That action of me telling my wife about those thoughts of porn embarrassed me. But what I did through that action of telling her was embarrass the sin that was coming against me. To quote Jesse Duplantis, if you don't embarrass sin, sin will embarrass you. Besides, you and your wife are in this life together. You're one flesh according to Scripture. How can she meet you where you are if you never tell her where that is? Communication. Opposite action. The skill of opposite action will help you to ditch the glasses of culture and take on the vision of God. That way you stop looking through the lens of your wealth. In the same way that Jesse acknowledged to Samuel that he had one more son that was tending the sheep. Samuel said, bring him to me. Then God confirmed that David was the one he chose to be king. And David received the anointing. If you don't want to miss the king and you don't want to miss God's anointing, then do the opposite of your feelings. Dive into the word of God and let him help you in your struggles. Again, I want to be very clear. It's not easy. It's simple, but it's not easy. It's progressive. 
Not in the progressive Christian kind of way. It's progressive over time. It's harder at the beginning and easier at the end. Anything that's worth it is hard to start, but you always get the biggest reward in the end. So meditate on that this week. Identify in your lives where you could have made different choices. Remember your past, because it will come back again. The definition of insanity is repeating the same actions over and over and over and expecting a different result. Don't go down the road of insanity. Instead, review your past and pursue your future. That's all the time we have for today, everybody. But I'm going to quickly pray. Father, thank you very much for giving us this word today. And I ask that you bless every single person that is listening to this podcast and is hearing your word, that you seal it inside of their heart. So the next choice that comes up, the next situation that they're in, they think of you. If they're struggling with an addiction, in the name of Jesus, I bind the addiction that's over their life. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you bring back this idea of opposite action. They're not bound to their feelings. Help them to be bound to your truth. Thank you for blessing each and every person listening today, Lord. We love you. And it's in Jesus' name I pray all these things. Amen. Well, guys, if this episode has blessed you in any way, please share it with a friend. Click like on our Facebook page. Leave a comment. Leave a comment of encouragement. If you want to financially support this ministry, just click the heart at the top of the podcast page. We will be having a YouTube page coming out soon. It's going to be a little different than these podcasts. It's going to be shorter formatted, less information. It's more about the application to your life. And then you can come over here to the podcast and get the information to make sure that it stays firm in your foundational relationship with Christ. But those episodes should be coming out soon. So keep a lookout. And until next week, be bold, be strong, and be blessed.